so workforce planning you try to understand what you need in the future what you have what the gaps are how you close these gaps and then of course closing these gaps is then exactly that kind of connection to your learning systems to then actually build certain skills that you've identified as critical gaps and if that is not in one language and it doesn't work together then of course the you, you cannot really action upon some of your plans and, and that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish yes hi i'm david green and welcome to the final episode of season 19 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. You just heard René Getanish, Head of Strategic Workforce Planning at Novartis, talking about the importance of a single skills taxonomy for effective workforce planning. Underpinning Novartis's approach to workforce planning is a laser sharp focus on the business, which is achieved through a targeted approach. We opt for an approach that tries to be very, very targeted. So we really try to zoom into areas of the business that either will face tremendous change from market pressure from our customers, how they're changing, um, or very, very important for us uh, from our business strategy perspective to really zoom into key pockets, which is maybe 500, maybe a thousand associates and really try to make an impact and really try to action, right? So what people often miss the part of workforce planning, planning is only 10% right, of the energy, 90% is the execution. We talk about this targeted approach in more detail throughout the episode. René and I also discuss the skills operating system that René and his team are building at Novartis and why having a robust skills ontology is so important. We look at how to incorporate internal and external skills data in a single skills ontology. And we also look at Novartis's approach to skills-based workforce planning in more detail. René shares a couple of examples that illustrate their targeted approach. And he also provides some specific advice for organizations looking to adopt this approach. So I think in my experience, working with leaders who are really in, into this, right? Leaders that buy into that vision um, and are able to pull this through, work with their leadership teams and, and really showing results right so i think that's that's the best i think the worst thing is is theorizing and theorizing versus actually starting doing today i'm delighted to welcome uh, rene geshenich uh, head of strategic workforce planning at novartis to the digital hr leaders podcast rene it's great to have you on the show um can you introduce yourself um, and a little bit about your, your role at Novartis? Yeah. Hi, David. Uh, thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for, for inviting me. Um, yeah, my name is René Gesnich. I spent roughly the last 13 years in various different pharma companies and now joined Novartis beginning of last year. Um, as you mentioned, I'm kind of heading up the global workforce planning practice at Novartis, and that's kind of my, my main responsibility. And um, I took on an additional role, which is also leading a kind of mid-sized cross-functional team that is kind of figuring out our approach to skills and, and what that entails, right? Our skills strategy, our skills operating system, how we call it now. Um, and for the ones that don't know Novartis, so Novartis is a focused medicines company. Um, 106,000 associates are quite a large enterprise and, and touching almost one-tenth of this world's population with reaching um, 770 million patients worldwide uh, on an annual basis. Right? So that's that's my, my current role at Novartis. That's brilliant, Renan. And, and actually, it's nice in, in the sort of two and a half years since we're doing the podcast, you're the, the third um, guest that we've had from Novartis. We had Simon Brown, Chief Learning Officer, who I know you probably interact a little bit with some of the work that you're doing. 
uh, and Stephen Burt, uh, the the former Chief People Officer as well. So, and I think you know, for those that have listened to those podcasts and those that haven't, I think a lot of the work that you're doing in people and organisation at, at Novartis is 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 really interesting. I think, and I know we're going to talk about that now. I'll definitely come back to the cross-functional role because I think that's important as we as we talk about skills. Um, but skills is pretty much you know what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some of the innovative work that you're doing. Um, in workforce planning at Novartis. Um, but before we jump in, you know, let's start by discussing the foundation, um, a single skills taxonomy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the skills operating system you're building and why it's so important to get this right? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think the, the taxonomy bit is one piece of it. But like you, you mentioned, we're, we want to think about this more as really an operating system, right? So if you think about your phone, you have your Android, your iOS, and you have different applications that run on that phone. Um, and, and what we really want to figure out is the backbone, the foundations that then new applications can come in and others might, might go off that operating system, right? And um, we started on that journey roughly one and a half years ago. Um, and it's an interesting piece, right? So you everywhere you hear about skills, you might even say people become skills obsessed, right? So and and you you it's really hard to understand where you actually want to start and what problem you want to solve first. Because as soon as you dig into it, you could say, well, let's start with skill-based workforce planning. Uh, let's make our learning approach more skill-centric. Um, let's think about skill-based rewards, skill-based incentives, etc. So you kind of go down all these different rabbit holes before you say, well, that's really the problem we need to solve, right? So and I think it took us some time to really kind of frame this problem around this operating system um, that, of course, consists of one common taxonomy. And it's really about kind of the things that need to be consistent across your HR solution. So it's your taxonomy, it's your job architecture and how that relates to skills. It's how you assess for skills, right? Um, it's the employee experience. So you don't want your associates to go into four different systems, for example, a marketplace, a learning experience platform, or your, your workday backbone to, to add their skills into a system. Um, and, and I think if you if you think about these different elements that need to be consistent, um, it's already quite a big chunk, quite a big thing to, to figure out. Um, and that's kind of what we've been continuously working through and working out and saying, okay, this is kind of the different bits and pieces of the puzzle of that operating system that we need to tackle, need to make consistent in order to have the current applications, which for us is kind of Workday as a backbone, then Gloat as a talent marketplace, and then Adcast as a learning experience platform to run on. But we also need to build something that kind of is sustainable for potentially a talent acquisition solution coming in the future or skill-based rewards and all these other elements that you might come in. Uh, and that might come in we don't even know of, right? That might be coming into the into the talent marketplace in, in a couple of years' times, right? So um, that's kind of our, our main focus and, and scope of this work right now. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we've had a we've had a few guests on, particularly in the last year, talking about that how they're taking more of a skills based approach to workforce planning. And we had uh, Anshul Shiafuri from IBM just before Christmas, and he talked about skills as that that single thread that links together all different parts of the employee life cycle. And I think that's what we've seen. And we, we've commented on it before. Ian, I think Ian and I did in a podcast we did at the start of twenty twenty. Is that it's almost like skills acting as breaking down some of those silos that we naturally have had within HR and learning, talent management, talent acquisition. And skill seems to be the thing that threads can actually act as, as a thread through that. And I suppose that's, that's you've been, obviously you've thought about that and have by the fact that you're running a cross-functional team around how you create this. I mean, what are some of the other 
areas of HR and even the business that are that are involved in that cross-functional team? Yeah, so it's definitely first of all, I guess, the big function in HR, right? That want to understand that. So you, we talked, you talked about Simon Brown, our chief learning officer, being on uh, our ambition to upskilling and reskilling, right? So learning is a really big component, talent management, talent acquisition, and, and rewards. So first of all, it's it's of course the different um, HR functions you work with, um, but also quite early on, we we gathered that there's big appetite actually for a lot of this data that we either can gather from associates, the skills we have, but also the skills that actually are required um, from a labor market perspective uh, in different functions, right? So for competitive intelligence, it's interesting to look at skills data, for example, from job postings you can gather through companies like MZ Burning Glass or HR Forecast. So it's kind of become a, a large, much larger kind of program where at the core it's still HR, but we've kind of extended even into areas like procurement that want to source contingent labor and, and want to use a similar kind of skill taxonomy as we are, for example, for our core workers, right? So it's kind of becoming that uniform language that everything that touches an employee that you work with your workforce is supposed to kind of able to describe. Um, but it, there's a lot of side benefits like competitive intelligence I mentioned that you might not even have thought of at the beginning, but the kind of come across why once you start working on this but i think the red thread idea is still the dominant one right that that kind of starts in hr but then there's all these other layered benefits on top of it that you start to explore once you go into that work and you talked a little bit about you know internal and external skills data there you know how do you incorporate those both those data sources internal and external skills data into the skills operating system and is there an optimum balance yes i think people often talk about this in the realm of talking about a taxonomy, right? So do should I just simply take an off-the-shelf taxonomy I can get from MZ Burning Glass or should I uh, develop it entirely by ourselves? And I think we... We had these conversations, but then said, okay, well, let's let's think about this practically. Let's think about some design principles, how we develop our skill taxonomy. And then also let's think about the different data points and taxonomies that need to merge. Um, and I think for us, for us, it was very clear. First of all, we needed something that's independent of one system because we want to build an operating system that works for new systems we want to plug in. Um, we wanted something that is dynamic, that updates, right? And we wanted something that is is very, very broad. So it's really able to represent our entire workforce and it's very deep. And we actually had the luxury of having a skill taxonomy in place linked to our job architecture that was built manually. And it was built in an annual process. We'd ask a bunch of people and say, okay, what are the skills you need? Um, and we found out that it was actually it was it was really not representative of the work people did, and it was not very specific to us as a pharma company. So we experimented a little bit with taxonomies like MZ Burning Glass and found it's they're really really good, right? So they're really really good at representing because they leverage big data like job postings um, to to understand the type of work people do and then infer skills from it. And they're actually write, quite specific to us as a pharma company. So I said, hmm, that's interesting. So probably the off-the-shelf market ontology or taxonomy will provide already 90% of what we need. But what about these 10%? We said, well, let's create a process, right? So we said we can crowdsource these skills. So we kind of allowed now every associate that wants to add a new skill to propose that to us. We've established the role of kind of a skills architect who's working with the businesses and who's also kind of looking at these crowdsourced skills and is then actively curating that, that taxonomy, right? So that's kind of creating that language that works externally, internally. But also beyond that, when you think about the data, we absolutely want to merge our external 
kind of external labor market data and trends to understand, for example, expected skills for a certain role. And the actual skills our associates show and put in their profile, for example, in talent marketplace, right? But having that taxonomy that actually works with labor market data and internally with our own associates and what they produce is kind of the starting point for that, right? But um, I think it's 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 something that took us a while to figure out, but I think some of these players out there can really help you to kind of really give a boost and, and really help you to, to enrich the quality of your taxonomy, the language first, to then also work with these different data sets um, in sync on, on one language. And I guess what the external data sources can do is they can give you a little bit of a window into what your competitors may be doing, both your traditional competitors and maybe newer competitors that, that, that Novartis may be coming up against, depending on you know where you're taking your business strategy, because ultimately workforce planning is about helping your business strategy be successful, isn't it? So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a great source. Um, I think Elon Musk was was even talking about how he could figure out um, that Google was buying kind of self or was building a self driving car by hiring a thousand engineers to do it, right? So it's kind of this competitive insight you can get before somebody actually makes something public. Um, and it's similar. We've been using that to understand very key trends. Um, so for example, remote or virtual clinical trials was something we tried to figure out and understand. And you could really selectively try to search for job postings in that field across the pharma industry to understand who's doing it and who's not, right? Um, but also there's more basic things like like even for a job architecture to, to link the top 10, top 15 skills to a job and what is required and expected is something you can do so much better just based on job posting and what pharma companies or leading companies in the field are expecting for a certain job versus just trying to create that manually through conversations, right? So I think there's many, many different applications for that data from a competitive intelligence standpoint, but even for kind of your basic data architecture and your foundation work where you can leverage this type of data. I, I sense we could have a podcast episode on just that topic alone, but uh, so we will uh, we'll move on a little bit now. Otherwise, I think me, me and you will get will get lost in that. I think. But um, well, I wonder what are some of the myths and, and challenges um, that that you hear often when it comes to leveraging skills as a new currency, which is a bit of a phrase that, that we hear a lot. And can you bust some of these uh, for for listeners? Yeah, I think I, I, I buy into the skills as the red threat. Otherwise, I wouldn't be kind of working this and working in this kind of cross-functional project team and, and trying to lead this work. But I think when you go a bit deeper and you're trying to really explore, sometimes the meaning of a skill comes more from the context, especially the ones that are more high level. Right? So I think project management is a good example. Um, so how you set up your taxonomy is is a big part. It, it needs to be very specific and detailed and granular in order to be meaningful. Otherwise, if it's very high level, like project management, project management for, I don't know, rolling out workday is very different project management for managing your own wedding or a child's birthday or something else, right? So even though we say it's all project management, the type of work and the type of kind of that, that is required is very different. So context is often very, very important in order to describe a skill and to really have a common definition that provides that red threat, right? So I think people often tend to oversimplify that and forget about some of the nuances that you actually need to be able to to match work and, and people, which essentially is often what you're trying to accomplish by, by using skill data. Um, there's a couple of others. I think Going back to the labor market data, I think it's it's we often get very excited by things we see by the World Economic Forum or the ILO. But I think something I've learned now more and more working with this data is you really need to dig deep to understand the source, right? You need to understand, for example, simple things and job postings. 
how does a vendor make sure he's not deduplicating a job posting, which is posted on 10 different job posts, right? So, so really the data quality piece is important in order to also draw robust insights from it. Um, and I think the last one we're struggling a lot with is, is kind of the translation between different taxonomies is something that because we have different systems using different taxonomies and we create that master taxonomy that plays in between them, it seems easy at first. But then as that context is so important, it's like translating between different languages. You you might know a one-to-one comparison, but is it really meaning describing the same thing? Maybe not, right? So it's so there's a couple of challenges there really on the data side that that are not so easy to figure out and that people sometimes oversimplify when they kind of jump into that topic. And, what, and in terms of that, that kind of data challenge, what are some of the things that steps that you're taking to try and mitigate those? Yeah, so I think from from a data quality perspective, when we think about labor market data, we we kind of really we did a big RFP and now selected I think the most robust vendor in that space that provides the best kind of labor market data. Um, the other piece for the translation is something we're actually working with these different vendors that help and help working with them to to create translations between their different taxonomies. So that when we work with Glode as a telemarketplace and Netcast as a learning experience platform, that they actually help us to translate between the taxonomy and do this well. So from a user perspective, you go into one system and add your skills and it's being translated to another taxonomy in another system. Um, and the last piece, of course, we, we invest in our data architecture, that we try to get data from these different systems out and we try to then translate from these different systems into one joint master taxonomy and that's kind of what we're trying to solve for with that operating system in mind because it's so important isn't it not just for the workforce planning perspective so you can understand where you are with with skills as an organization but it's so important from a learning or a, a mobility option because if the recommendations are only as good as the data that it's based upon yeah, absolutely. And that's the red thread, right? So workforce planning, you try to understand what you need in the future, what you have, what the gaps are, how you close these gaps. And then, of course, closing these gaps is then exactly that kind of connection to your learning systems to then actually build certain skills that you've identified as critical gaps. And if that is not in one language and it doesn't work together, then, of course, the, you, you cannot really action upon some of your plans. And, and that's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. Yes. Great. So, We've got the skills. Let's say we've got the skills data where we want it to be. Um, you know, and as you said, you can then use it in the different systems that you're using for different parts of the, the talent lifecycle. So let's turn now to look at skills based um well skill based workforce planning at Novartis in a more detail. When we come back in just a moment, Rene tells me more about the targeted, almost pilot-based approach to workforce planning that he adopts at Novartis. Every single day your people are sharing how they feel and what they need from where they work. Are you listening? Are you taking action? You can with Medallia. Medallia, a global leader in employee experience management, empowers people leaders with the most comprehensive set of experience tools to help you act confidently in times of uncertainty. Medallia helps you shorten the window between insights and action, building trust fostering innovation and activating the untapped power of your people. Visit www.medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more. That's medallia.com forward slash employee hyphen experience to learn more. 
Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast with Rene Getinish, Head of Strategic Workforce Planning at Novartis. Now, back to the conversation. You're a big advocate for a nimble, almost pilot-based approach uh, to workforce planning. Can you tell us a little bit more about this approach and why you think it works? Yeah, so I think from a fundamental framework for workforce planning, where you talk about business strategy, future demand, your supply gap, and then closing this gap, we're very close to that, right? So I think that's your standard framework for workforce planning. But the details below that, when you think about skill-based workforce planning, it's it's not just predicting one variable, which is which is headcount. It's really trying to predict many variables, which is which is really looking at the composition of skills within one job, the composition of how many jobs you need for a certain organization in the future, how these jobs might work with each other. So it, it, it becomes a very intricate and complicated things to solve for because it's many different variables. And on top of that, you have a pharma company that is a very, very complicated net of a value chain. So you so it's really hard to actually do that at scale for many, many organizations at once. And also, it's very hard to do that in a way that is quite future-focused. So therefore, we said we opt, to, we opt for an approach that tries to be very, very targeted. So we really try to zoom into areas of the business that either will face tremendous change from market pressure, from our customers, how they're changing, um, or are very, very important for us uh, from our business strategy perspective to really zoom into key pockets, which is maybe 500, maybe 1,000 associates, and really try to make an impact and really try to action, right? So what people often miss, the part of workforce planning, planning is only 10%, right, of the energy, 90% is the execution. So um, so we're really trying to adopt this mindset of almost a venture capitalist that is trying to look at key areas, key areas that will be very important for us in five years, try to understand them with as much data we can from the labor market, from internally, uh, and come up with a robust plan to then action upon it, learn from it, and then scale potentially for the entire enterprise. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to to implement. And, and I've been kind of showing some great results in these different pockets of the organization where we try to um, kind of pilot and approach it this way. You're right. I mean, it's, well, you, obviously, Novartis is a big organization. It's a complex organization. It's a global organization. And as you said, trying to do workforce planning for the whole company straight away from a skills-based perspective, difficult. But focus on the most important areas, as you said. You know, that's a, that's a key bit of advice, I think, for for anyone listening, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's how you can show impact, right? So I think it's also creating momentum, right, behind workforce planning. And I think staying targeted and and creating action upon your plans is is very important. But I think also it's it's a way to innovate, right? So it's a way to um, to think how you change your company. So I think your company will always kind of need to perform, right? So it's this kind of transforming versus performing or it's kind of the innovative dilemma if you want to talk about it. And what we're trying to play with is really moving beyond kind of this is your obvious business model and you just play that out for the next three to five years into an area where we say, well, innovators dilemma, what are new business models? What are different business models? Really radically different ways of approaching a certain problem and, and really trying to figure that out at a small scale and then learning from that so we're better prepared in two, three, four, five years when this future might arrive and we might need to do it at scale, right? And that's kind of the thinking we're, we're trying to foster with this approach. I mean, you, you talk, I mean, can you share one or two examples where you've applied this approach and maybe the related skills that, that, that you've targeted? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good example is, um, is our drug development uh, organization. So roughly 13,000 associates. Um, 
and and a very very heavily regulated process in how you develop drugs right so very hard to even change one one wheel of the whole thing we wanted to look at a part of that organization that is actually dealing with data so we looked at a, an organization that's called data operations and there's an interesting trend so these are statistical programmers these are people that develop databases these are people that acquire data there's an interesting trend also really, really accelerated by the pandemic that that kind of when you want to develop drugs, historically patients would come to the, a facility and you would administer a drug and you could monitor them on site versus now having more and more kind of remote clinical trials. So you just pretty much ship the drug there and you try to sensor, for example, via a smartwatch or via an application where a patient puts in certain data, how he feels or sensors on their body, how, how he's actually feeling, how he's doing, right? So very different sets of data, very unstructured um, that we want to now incorporate into our clinical trials. And that was kind of an example where we said, okay, how do, how do we cope with that? How do we do that? So we need different types of kind of profiles that are able to, for example, acquire data that, that might be third-party data. It has nothing to do with our clinical trials that we can then incorporate and triangulate with kind of our clinical trial data and what that would mean in detail is something we try to figure out for that very small kind of subpopulation trying to figure it out trying to say these are the new role profiles these are the skill sets we need and then let's start acting upon that learn at small scale and then maybe that's the way to do drug development at large in the future but we're then prepared because we've tried it um, in a small subset for some subset of our clinical trials. And I think you've, you've, uh, there's an, you've got another example on, um, related to building up a global ops center as well. Yeah, so that, that's another interesting one where kind of we're currently working on moving everything that doesn't need to be on the actual manufacturing sites on site into global operation centers in Slovenia and Hyderabad. Um, and of course, what comes with that is kind of you also move a lot of the planning that used to happen in the different sites into central hubs. So supply chain planning will be tremendously important in the future. It's already very complex, right? We've heard about disruptive supply chains also during the pandemic. And we kind of really wanted to figure out, okay, for pharma, if we want to move all this activity into central hubs, what would that mean, right? And and supply chain planning is really, really being lifted, being much more data-driven, using big data, really being able to understand the interdependencies of large systems and how if I move something here, it, depend, it kind of changes something there, the interdependencies, um, and, and really redefining what a supply chain function does and what the different roles are needed that you need to be successful in that new setup. And that, that was another interesting piece. Um, again, a very small niche kind of subpopulation we looked at versus everything you could look at in manufacturing, right? We have more than 20,000 people in manufacturing. Um, these were kind of 200, 300 people in supply chain in these actual roles that we, we wanted to figure out how, how their work is changing, how their skill sets are changing in the future. In, and, and sort of going to this sort of granularity of level and looking at specific businesses or functions as such, Winnie, what is the, I mean, I, I know what the answer is, but a little bit, but I'd love you to explain to listeners what, what is the business benefit of this approach and how do you ensure that the work, as you said, leads to action and then value? Because as you said, 90% of the process is actually about execution, only 10% of the planning. I mean, first of all, I think it's it's trying to create clarity often, again, going back to the labor market data, what our competitors are doing, how the market is moving, what are novel approaches, right? You can read a lot from just reading job posting of your competitors and just aggregating that up and just showing that to, to business leaders. Um, 
But then again, that target approach helps them to actually not be completely overwhelmed by by the change, but saying, oh, these are really the two, three, four, five things I can do now to, to be prepared for the future, right? To future ready myself, my organization, the talent in my organization. Um, and it's also something that is actually, it's, it's high effort on the HR side to prepare the analysis, the data, to prepare the discussion, the conversation about it from a business leader perspective. It, it's really some key interactions where you just kind of, playback and show them what's happening where you might also do some interviews and playback what the organization thinks and then it's really about taking some really quick targeted actions to move in a certain direction and learn from it right so it's it's also kind of from a yeah from an effort kind of amount of mind space you take up in a leader space it's it's actually not so much but it's still helping tremendously to get in that kind of future proofing future ready mindset uh, and also driving targeted action from it We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you're looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the MyHR Future Academy. It's a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you'll see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way helping you to close your skills gaps, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Now let's go back to the conversation with René as he talks through how he prioritizes workforce planning activities at Novartis. Prioritization. I mean, is it difficult to prioritize and then maintain the boundaries of this targeted approach? Because I'm guessing you've got lots of requests, lots of business partners within PO as well, or HR coming to you as well with, with requests for the businesses and the markets that they serve. How do you prioritize? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just human nature trying to wanting to know more, right? So if I now know how this piece works in the future, I want to know how this and this and this and all the other pieces work as well. So I think that's just human nature and there's of course always more appetite also to to understand the bigger picture and different parts of the organization so i think that's just normal um and i think it's a challenge really to maintain that kind of targeted and focused approach and sometimes yes you need large transformations right if i know my customer base is changing radically and i need to transform my entire commercial model yes you need to do that right sometimes the target approach is not the right one um but i think we're really trying to go through a set of questions with the business leaders or business partners to really say, well, this target approach where it's really about future-proofing, really that five-year time horizon versus the one two-year time horizon is the right thing for you. Are you ready to take these kind of calculated risks? Because you might be wrong, right? If you take that venture capital mindset, it's high risk, but high return. So you take a bet on something that might never come, right? Because often maybe the signals are not as strong as you might have when you really know, oh, the entire landscape has changed and I have to change my business model versus why I sense there's a change in customer behavior. I sense there's a change in how the regulatory agencies are dealing with certain issues and I want to be prepared. It's a lot weaker to signal, but if you are prepared, the benefits are, of course, a lot larger in the long run, right? But I think it's a set of questions that we like to work with and guide leaders through and business partners. But like you, like you mentioned, that's definitely a challenge Every time you want to be focused and targeted, uh, not to get diluted and 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 focus on on 
different sets of challenges that might be also relevant in the moment and urgent, but might might not yield that long term outcome that you're actually striving for. And you know, and what advice would you give? I mean, obviously you provided some already, but so you might summarize, but there might be some additional. You know, what advice would you give to other workforce planning teams looking to adopt this targeted approach? So I think in my experience, working with leaders who are really in into this, right? Leaders that buy into that vision. Um, and are able to pull this through, work with their leadership teams and, and really showing results, right? So I think that's that's the best. I think the worst thing is is theorizing and theorizing versus actually starting doing. And, and I've been fortunate to really find some really exceptional leaders who said, well, we really want to understand this experiment and I think we have a need for it. Um, and it's creating outstanding good cases then that you can share right across with different leaders to say that's that's how i feel it should be done and that's the benefit you get out of it um and you make it tangible right but i think it's it's really the first step is is just doing it experimenting and having leaders that are excited but also forgiving right if it's not all perfect the first time you <laughs> you start working in that way um with them and and i've been very fortunate to to find a couple of those across Novartis. and i suppose as you as you said you know finding that that leader or that sponsor within the business who recognizes they've got a problem or thinks they might like have a problem or wants to find out um, and it can actually take decisions, can do the execution that you talked about earlier as well. It's That's, that's absolutely key, isn't it? That's absolutely key, right? And there, I don't know if there's an, an easy guide to doing that, but I think it's something where you just build your network and you you find people who might be known for, for similar things, maybe a maybe not just in the HR space, but in other areas, and you you just work with them, right? But I think that's that's a critical first step rather than, and we also try that to say, well, we, we want to be super analytical about the area we pilot or we experiment or introduce that. I think it's really better to look for leaders who are really willing to support this and push this through because you need their energy and effort, not just for the 10%, but for the 90% later, right, to to execute on on your plans. Yeah, because if, this, you know, the planning although it's 10%, it's actually got a lot of effort and a lot of time, particularly if you've got a relatively small team. And then if the execution doesn't follow, then you can argue the planning is a bit of a waste of time. <laughs> Pretty much, absolutely. And I think that's people People are sometimes missing that when they talk about workforce planning. Um, that, that That's, I mean, the ultimate outcome and goal is to drive action out of your plan and not just to have a, a nice shiny plan, right? So, um, and I think that's something also that you, you need to manage expectations with stakeholders early on. Yeah. Well, the next question, I will cloak it by saying I appreciate you've only been at Novartis for, for just well, just over a year. You know, so maybe this is, might be a conversation for a second podcast down the road. But how do you or, 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 are, or are you going to approach scaling the targets approach? Yeah. So it's kind of a <laughs> polarity, right? Scaling a targeted approach. But in, in, in essence, I mean, we, we strongly believe that the HR business partner is best positioned to to apply and run these methodologies. So we're, we're going to run a couple of boot camps with HR business partners to actually enable them. But we also want to make sure that it's not something they, they need to do, right? So it's not something that we want to make an annual process everybody needs to run, but it's really based on a need and a pool from the business, right? So it's really, if there's a need, larger transformation, um, or an area that is very critical for our organization, something that we might see in the data that is transforming radically on the labor market, there we really want to zoom in. But I think it's it's this kind of, yeah, opt-in approach for business partners and leaders versus saying we force top-down an approach onto everyone um, that, that we will try to 
support. And I think that's very much also in the culture and DNA of Novartis, where we talk a lot about being unbossed, right? It's really a, it's an offering that we, we give. Um, and that offering we're going to give to the organization and then have very much a pull approach in different directions um, to, to, to scale it to an extent where it's needed, right? So that's kind of our philosophy. And I think you made a very key point there, actually. You know, the great thing is, obviously, you get the pull from the business. If you've got, the, you've got those stakeholder relationships with the business, they've got a need, you know, they'll come to you and you'll be able to work on them for that. But the great thing about the external data that you're collecting, that gives you the push. So you can say, we're seeing this in the data, as you said, you know, do you want to investigate this further to see if it's how relevant it is for your business? And, you know, and, and I think that's that's a, that great balance that whether it's a people analytics team or it's a workforce planning team, by having that that data, that external data, you can actually help. Again, we've had a we had a previous guest on the on the on the podcast who said help the organization see around corners, which I think is a is a great analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our role also as a workforce planner or people analytics practitioner is sometimes to challenge, right? And to to provide a different perspective and also disagree sometimes, right? And and like you said, I think it's you need to do that based on on good data. And I think like you mentioned, the labor market data is a is a really good piece of information you can take into these conversations to actually say, well, I beg to differ, right? And there there might be might be other ways of doing things. Um absolutely. So it needs to be um these two sides like you like you highlighted, which is the pull, but also being able to, of course, have your own opinion and and strive for a certain uh in into a certain direction. Okay. And now for the last question, Renee, we're gonna we're gonna go to a topic that we you mentioned briefly at the start around employee experience. And this is the question that we're asking everyone on on this particular series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And I'd be really interested to hear your view from the context and the and the work that you're doing. What is the future of employee experience in, in 2022? Yeah, it's going to be an, an interesting journey when you think about hybrid work, all the big things we have on our minds. I think many, many companies will embrace really radical flexibility, right? In terms of location, in terms of time, in terms of ways of working. But I also feel more and more companies need to resolve for, when you think about the great resignation, what's the purpose of this organization? How do we bring people together, align them behind one purpose? And I think what I've seen also now within Novartis more and more, what we're trying to accomplish is that polarity between the individual and the organization to, to bring that together on team level. And that's something we've been doing more and more when we think about um also our new performance management, when we think about the how conversations, how do we want to work together as a team? And I'm not sure if we're going to see more technology around that or diff- different pieces around how do you bring teams together to work effectively, to kind of be able to be radically flexible as an individual and provide as much flexibility, as, but still be able to be a functioning, high-performing, purpose-driven team. And I think that's something that we're going to see a lot more communication around versus often what you hear what the entire organization thinks about working from in the office from Tuesday to Thursday, which is kind of meaningless towards, well, how does this team perform best, right? And might be completely different setups, completely different ways of working, et cetera. And I think that's a key trend we're going to see accelerating more and more. And of course, the skills data ultimately can can have a role in helping to, to shape the employee experience as well. I I hope so. I hope that we were able to draw some meaningful insights into um, either a link in terms of what skills are most relevant, right, for for a certain uh, individual. What skills make 
them most employable within an organization. But also when you think about employee experience, a big topic for us is, is really upskilling and reskilling, right? So I talked about these 100 hours at, uh, at Novartis. So when, you, when you're able to predict in-decline skills, for example, and you're able to predict that earlier for an associate to, to then act upon this intentionally rather than saying, well, you're not employable anymore, right? Rather than saying, well, we, we kind of know that this job, this skill will go away and it's going to be either automated or it's going to be offshored or whatever. And we're trying to act upon this intentionally. I think that will make a big difference to a lot of associates knowing that you actively think about this and care for them um, and, and think about the development while we still, of course, need to push for kind of accountability on the associate level to actually drive their own development, right? But I think that's that's going to be a massive change as well. Well, well, Rennie, thank you so much for being a, a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media and, and find out more about your work? Well, all these good things right, that you just mentioned. So very happy to, to stay connected with many people, like-minded people that think about workforce planning, but also think about skills. So yeah, always happy if they want to reach out. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Uh, and, and very curious also to, to hear about a lot more guests on your podcast and hear what they have to say about skills and of course, workforce planning. Well, thank you, Rene. And, and it was it certainly was a big topic of uh, conversation on the podcast throughout 2021. And I, and I suspect it will be even more so um, as we as we go into into this year in 2022 and beyond. So uh, it's been great to have you on the show. And I know listeners will benefit a lot from from listening to the work that, that, that you've been doing at Novartis. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and our weekly newsletter at myhrfuture.com. Tune in next week for the first episode of Series 20, where I'll be joined by Dr. Nancy Doyle, Chief Research Officer at Genius Within, and co-director at the Centre for Neurodiversity at Work. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care.